You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 203. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. And of course, today I am joined by my co-host, Aaron. How are you doing today? Glad to be here. All right. So today we're going to talk about a topic a country that came up a lot when I was on the uh, when I was on the air back in Ye- at Yale because uh, I- I- Iraq was always in the news at that time, um, and uh, it's funny how the the whole Iraq thing has just dropped out of the news in the past sixteen years or yeah, so. Were, were we already uh, in Iraq War Two? Oh point, yes, or? oh yes, very much so. It, I, I know we talked about it on the nine eleven episode, but it's gotten fuzzy. What the order of operations for? You know, where where did we invade first after that, and how long were we there? And when yeah. when were things spiking versus cooling down in the Middle East, various regions? But yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> it's, it's I, sometimes I feel like it's more just spiking down in terms of like what the media is presenting to us um, in some ways. Oh, sure. But, yeah. The, the uh, perception in America is is correlated, but not uh, not a direct sure. Uh, direct representation of, of what's actually yeah, yeah. going on over there. Well, <laughs> we fought this whole war and they were like, we're going to bring democracy to Iraq. So let's, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to litigate that today, but I do want to talk about, I'm going to talk about, I want to talk about it from more of like a, a mathematical standpoint and more of a social choice theory standpoint, because, uh, and this is a new story that I think many people out there may not have heard of. Uh, the Iraqis recently had an election and there have been changes in the Iraqi election law, and those changes provide a glimpse into social choice theory. Um, and uh, you know, they changed the way the num- how the seats are allocated is is calculated. And you know, uh, there are a bunch of articles came out. It's hard to tell whether it's been good or bad. Uh, obviously, some people are complaining. Some people say it contributes to instability. But you know, obviously, you could say there's already been instability. On the other hand, surprisingly, uh, this Iraqi constitution, which came into effect in 2005, is still in effect, which, um, you know, is order of magnitude as, as long as any other government of Iraq has taken place. So, okay, yeah, I, I think... Well, not to get too far ahead of ourselves yeah. here, but the, the change... So the, the obvious parallel would be uh, we talked a number of episodes back about changes to how uh, elections were being done in New York state right. with uh, ranked choice voting. Uh, this is a different kind of change. It sounds like this is not a change to how the actual voting is done, but to, to how, how those votes are, are being, uh, well, I, I guess how representation is being allocated that, right. that presu- w- do you know the voting system that they were using? Was it a, a standard, you know, one one person, one vote at at the at the voting booth level, or or was it a more complex system like ranked choice voting? Yeah, no. So they don't have ranked choice voting, and I'll get into the changes in a little bit. But it's more like how the districts are are drawn, and um, you know, they in here in the U.S. we have single member districts. So it's um, you know, you're in your congressional district, and you elect one person from that district. Whereas in Iraq and in many uh, countries, particularly. Uh, European countries, Middle Eastern countries, they do. Uh, they have multi-member districts. Uh, and, and, and is we'll that talk- the defining feature of a parliamentary system versus what we have, or is no, there more nuance to that? It, it's more nuanced because uh, in the UK they have 
a single district uh, constituency is what they're called, constituencies. Uh, so not, not single district, sorry, single person. Like they elect a single member of parliament from that constituency. So it, it's, it's not uncommon. Then, then, of course, there are countries like Ukraine and like Israel that have one giant constituency and it's proportional representation from that. So um, a lot of things you can do. So first I wanted to, I, this is kind of crazy. I wanted to go over a brief history of Iraq and all the governments they've been through. I am not an expert on this. So I feel like, I feel like we have to talk about it just to set the table here. But I also don't think that like if somebody knows more than this, more about this than me, feel free to like come in and yell at us, I guess. Um, or in the <laughs> Let next us know few, on the local. Yeah, Send definitely on the local because uh, I, in the next few weeks, and Aaron will respond and answer for me. <laughs> That's your job, okay? Okay, so Iraq. Here's my take on it. After World War One or before World War One, it was part of the Ottoman Empire, right? Okay. Uh, you know, they had probably, they had a few provinces that were, um, that became modern-day Iraq, including, um, you know, Baghdad province, which probably had Baghdad in it, I'm sure, and, uh, you know, Mesopotamia and all that. Okay, so then after World War One, all of that, oh, that collapses, the British and French come in, uh, you know, because they're the victors. And they divvy it up. They divvy it up. Iraq goes to the British. At first, they were going to try a mandate, like the mandate for uh, Transjordan, mandate for Palestine. want to do a mandate for Iraq, but that kind of fell apart very quickly, so they set up a kingdom there. And the borders of Iraq were kind of drawn in a way that was um, not very stable because there's a lot of different ethnic groups there um, that have a, a, a problem uh, you know, becoming kind of a, a unified nation. It, it's I'm, the classic colonial conundrum that yeah. they've, they've drawn lines on a map, they've grouped a bunch of peoples together who... Uh, previously may have coexisted, but uh, were, were somewhat independently operating, and now they're being expected to function like a nation state. Sure, sure. And I'm sure that some of the, someone who really knows what's going on in Iraq probably has a lot more nuance to this. So anyway, the kingdom of Iraq lasted for about 37 years. It was not very stable, but <laughs> it's the most stable of any of the other ones that follow. Uh, so then it goes to the Iraqi Republic. So you had uh, probably some democratic elections under the kingdom. I don't know if you had well, so, so elections no, the, the, under the kingdom. You probably had a parliament under the kingdom. The, the kingdom yep. uh, lasted from from the interwar period through to, to into the post-war period. I think in the fifties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's when uh, you see, I'm 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 already I'm in danger of of mixing my, uh, my I don't Middle know Eastern the, countries because yeah, I'm thinking of the Shah of Iran. And that's, right. Perhaps a very similar uh, backstory in broad strokes, but but uh, d- different details there. Yeah, yeah. So I again, I I'm not going to pull up the exact dates. I think it was, um, well, if if it was 37 years, I'm thinking from like 1921 to 1957, something like that. 1958. Okay, so it becomes a republic. You know, now they have elections, and there's no uh, king there to kind of. Uh, you know, uh, um, you know, to, to kind of set policy. I, I'm actually not sure if there are elections under the kingdom, although many kingdoms that uh, the, the British set up also have parliaments with elections. Um, so anyway, the Republic lasted for a certain period of time, and then you had the, the Bath Party take over. And I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it because it's B-A apostrophe A-T-H. They are kind of this 
um, again, I, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm characterizing correctly, sort of a very authoritarian, very socialist, uh, centralized economy, and they take over. And then uh, the guy who was their main enforcer, who was doing all the purges and all the, all the skull cracking, he ends up deposing the, the, the leader there, and then he himself becomes the dictator, and that, of course, is Saddam Hussein. He goes from, what, the 19, late 70s all the way to 2003. Uh, there was the Gulf War in there. Kuwait, that was another thing with Iraq. Like Kuwait had a lot of oil, and that's sort of why the British kind of uh, had that, I think, before World War I. So. Hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, 2003, U.S. comes in, provisional government, Iraqi constitution in 2005. I actually covered this constitution on Max and the Wiz in 2005, and I did. I think I actually read it through. Yeah, I was that much of an overachiever. Now, now was I, this this like? Did, were they borrowing heavily from the U.S. Constitution? And it was no, it was know, a mess. Several pages, or was this like an EU, con, you know, European Union European Union Constitution, where it's like five thousand pages uh, and and all sorts of well, heretofore unknown rights. It's a Middle Eastern Constitution, but you can guess which one I think it's more close. It's closer <laughs> to. It was it was a long. It was a long document. Um, so, yeah, all right. So they had this election on October 10th, and negotiations on who's forming the government are happening now, uh, along with some civil unrest, which, you know, is not too uncommon. But um, it, it, that's another thing that's a little different even, you know, th this is true in most European countries where after the election, they, um, you know, they, they... They have to build a, a governing coalition. Exactly. Uh, assuming they don't have a naked majority. Right, right. Yeah. And it, usually, in, in some countries, this is an easy process. Um, actually, this would happen in the United States if we had lots of little parties. And uh, it might have happened once or twice where there's a coalition. I'm not sure. It's but debatable like, whether whether a more than two-party system is is feasible given the structural nature right. of our system. But, I, but yes, if, if there was. I, I, I think it has. I, that would be a really interesting thing to check. Like, has it happened in U.S. history where either the House of Representatives or the Senate didn't have a majority? I mean, there was recently where, like, you know, there were two independents, but they were I, I basically say, Democrats. Yeah. But um, it, it, but maybe there was some negotiation. Going on. And of I, course, it's not who forms the government in our case. It's just who's the majority leader. So it's less consequential. Whereas there, the majority leader is the government. So I, I think there is some of that, that that goes on, but it gets more or less brushed under the rug because uh, it all comes down to, okay, which which party do you caucus with? So right. like there, there are people, uh, what is it? Is it is it Minnesota where where uh, it's not actually the Democratic Party? It's like the the Democratic uh, the Democrat and Farmer Party of Minnesota. I never understood but, that. But they always caucus with the Democrats, yeah. so it's it's kind of a distinction without a difference. And and similarly with some of the independents, you know, you you more or less know who they're going to caucus with, and you can functionally write them off as being a member of one of the two parties, even if they're technically. Right. Uh, either an independent or belonging to a third party. The Farmer Labor, Labor Party sounds like such an anachronism. I feel like I should just start the like steampunk party. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, um, uh, that would actually be. Uh, you, you might be able to get some seats in the New Hampshire. Uh, I could state imagine. House. I could imagine the. Uh, oh yeah, well the New Hampshire State House is also very interesting in this regard. Okay, but um. Well, so so so. So we're talking about coalitions and how, uh, in some cases, so. In, in different countries, it works different. So in the U.S., it's like 
No, basically one party has the majority most of the time. Then you have countries yeah. like... Although that does come into play with anything that requires... Uh, a uh, filibuster-proof vote, yeah, yeah. Uh, or majority, no, 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 yeah. But they, I'm, I'm just talking about coalitions. But it's not in the sense of you know forming a government, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. But but I'm just talking about right forming a government. And you have countries the way I see it, like Canada and and the UK, where occasionally there's coalitions, but they happen pretty fast, like usually within a few days, because there's like you know usually a major party, and then they've got to deal with a minor one. Then you've got like right now, like Germany had kind of a, a split result and they add yeah. negotiations well, and, and for very long. Israel has yes. in fa- fairly recently <laughs> elections had some, some close calls on that. I, that, that was the, the, the that's the most uh, amazing kind of recent example because they well, had the largest yeah. party, which Likud party, which had, you know, maybe a quarter, but they couldn't form a majority. And the only way another uh, coalition could come about was to combine six parties that are like completely um, opposed on many issues other than they agree that, you know, uh, they, they want a change in government. So, um, yeah, th- there's, there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of horse trading. Now, from this article that I read in um, uh, Chatham House, they're saying that in Iraq, you know, the, the government formation doesn't seem uh, to a lot of outside observers to have much correlation with how much people, uh, how, how many seats these parties win. It seems like they kind of uh, uh, trade uh, ministries and portfolios along sectarian lines, and it's hard to predict who will be in the government from the seat allocations. And so this article describes this as a problem. I... I suspect there's a bit of pragmatism in that as well. So they kind of rely on grand coalitions. Yeah, that's, that's very reminiscent yeah. of, and, and, and again, I might be mixing this up because this is not my area of expertise, but I think Lebanon uh, may have a system where it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit more set in stone, but something like the prime minister will always be from this particular uh, ethnicity and the president will be from this other yes, ethnicity. They do exactly and, that. And you know, these seats in the ministry are allocated to this particular group uh, and, uh, exactly how they make that work in in and and still call it a democracy is is something I'm I'm by no means uh, up to speed on but but that yeah there's there's some divisions there that are it's not purely done by the numbers on the vote turnout I I think that um it it uh it it makes sense given what we said before that these are you know there's a lot of different groups in order to you know, have the stability, you know, and, and I sort of felt like it, it, it came off weird when I was talking about the Electoral College last year, about how, hey, you know, we have a, an Electoral College to divide power among the states, whereas, you know, some of these Middle Eastern countries, they have special considerations for uh, certain minority groups. Maybe that's a, a way to, um, you know, in, ensure uh I mean, on the surface, it's like kind of a way to ensure that like certain groups don't get drowned out. So it almost sounds like it could be a good thing. Yeah, uh, it, but it, it locks in certain certain balances. I think, and also maybe gives legitimacy to the to the hmm. government because otherwise, you know, they could say, well, you know, this government doesn't speak to me. It's this other group that. Well, the know. the the problem, as it's been explained to me, with that system, for example, in Lebanon, is that so the the you know. How many how many seats go to which 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 ethnic group yeah. uh, is is based on census data, 
but they haven't had a legitimate census in like 50 years. And so it's, it's almost certain that, that the breakdown does not reflect the actual uh, breakdown of the population, but the, uh, the, the entrenched powers have no incentive to uh, re- rewrite those, uh, those, those books, so to speak. Right, uh, but but we're, we're we're straying off the topic. So let, let's let's yeah. let's get back to to Iraq. I, I had a question on. Uh, yeah. So so we're talking about um, representation uh, in their their par- parliamentary body. Uh, are they a a unicameral or bicameral system? Do they do they have just a? I I believe the it's equivalent unicameral. Of, of House of Reps, or do they also have like a, a Senate type body that is is based on a different mathematics? Let me look at. Iraqi Senate. There is a Senate of Iraq. Oh, interesting. Oh, no, no, no. It was. <laughs> this was under. Uh, uh, this was under the kingdom. They were, and the senators were appointed by the king. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. And overthrown in 1958. Yeah. So, I don't. I think it's just this one parliament. But again, like I said, it, it's not like there's a majority ruling coalition. They kind of form this grand coalition where everyone kind of yeah, trades. Which, I, I, I'm uh, I'm I'm very aware that that's kind of how it's done in in many democracies around the world, but it feels so foreign here in the U.S. Because you know, we we have enough drama with election results themselves, but if if then okay, even even if every election is called on a, on you know on on that first Tuesday in November and on that Wednesday we know the results, but we didn't know what the actual government being formed was still that that was you know. A, a new process that had to happen, and and especially if it takes on the order of months to get negotiated out, that's well, that's kind of mind blowing. L- let me tell you, let me show you how weird this is. Um, so I looked up the election of Iraq, and um, who uh, of, of twenty eighteen, the previous one, and then who became the prime minister. And so I was like, okay, here's the well, election so results. Are, are they on a, a regular cycle, or is it? I, I know in some par- parliamentary systems. They can like call for an election kind of at whim. I read about this. <laughs> yes, they can call for an election at whim, but it's unclear when they can. There's still, but we don't have to get into okay, that. Okay, sorry. So no, no, this is this is what I was going to so say. This is, is a regularly scheduled election. All right, 2018, they had an election, and so I, I won't go on the Wikipedia page, and you could see the list of parties, and there's like a lot of them, uh, like all these faces of people and the number of seats they won and the party. And then when you scroll down and you see who becomes prime minister, he's not on that list of faces above. And not only that, the party that's listed for the prime minister is not on the party list from above. So there's all, and and a lot of them are from different. So like, you know, a a lot of the so-called parties are coalitions of other, seem to be coalitions of other parties and form coalitions. So there's, uh, a lot of moving pieces. Well, Again, I, I didn't have is, time to di- dive into all of this in, for, before Israel the show. Just recently, that that the uh, the Israeli was it prime minister uh, was was from like the smallest party in the coalition. Yes, but he was still one of the parties. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so and 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 I actually under, understand how that happened a lot better hmm. uh, uh, than than what's going well, on. It, it kind of makes me think of some of the uh, the. Oh, the sorry. Perhaps uh, uh, conspiracy theory uh, takes that well. If if the uh, Republicans take back the uh, the House of Representatives, uh, they could appoint uh, Donald Trump to be Speaker of the House because technically the Speaker doesn't have to be elected to the House, uh, and that's yeah. You, you get into some weird weird conditions with that. So I I can imagine a world where a uh, 
the the prime minister is is not uh, of the majority party and not even of a party if if somehow they they have enough pull and enough weight that, that there's yeah. something else they're bringing to the table yeah yeah um, well it's well, I, I guess uh and and i'm going to go ahead and and God won the argument right here. Yeah. Uh, I, By the way, I we're 20 think, minutes in. We haven't even talked about the two systems. <laughs> I, I don't think Adolf Hitler was actually elected to office. I, I think his party uh, gained control of, of the Reichstag, and then they appointed him chancellor. But I, I, could, be, I could be wrong on that. Don't, don't, uh, don't hold me to it. I think he was the party leader, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, back, back to Iraq. Right, right. <laughs> um, okay, so... Now we get to talk about voting systems. If you haven't, it's it's been twenty minutes into this. Oh, wait, I think we keep saying that we're not before experts. Before we get there, let me throw one thing out. Hold on, before <laughs> you throw your one thing out, I want to throw one thing out. We More tangents. Saying, yes, we keep saying we're not experts in this, and yet we just got into it. And we seem to know a heck of a lot. So uh, <laughs> we seem to be kind of uh, <laughs> able to uh, able to to figure well, this out. I, I, I can. I, I can take a topic and run with it. It doesn't yeah. mean anything I'm saying makes sense. But. No, no, no. We seem to know a lot more, a lot more than the average person. We're comparing ourselves to like if you're a scholar in comparative electoral systems. We're, we're, not, we're not ready for punditry prime time yet. Uh, but, but <laughs> oh, are we'll you kidding me? There. We know a lot more than like the people on, on cable news on this. I stuff. Said, so, so uh, this is this isn't the point I was going yeah. to make. But uh, I, I was when I when I was reading uh, some of our, our reference material for this, I was thinking, well. Uh, on the plus side, uh, the people reporting on this are not going to be like they, they don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. They're, they're not going to be steeped in in partisan bias like you might expect from from some of the news outlets here in the U.S. reporting on our elections. Uh, so so surely they're going to be a more objective. Um, but then I thought better of that and thought, well, the, where where what are their sources for where they're getting the information on this? And so either they're going to be woefully ill-informed or they're going to be working off of uh sources which which would have those those uh, you know those those partialities those biases so i we're 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 synthesizing from the best data data we have available but uh without having literal boots on the ground to to know about this it's 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 tricky to make sense of it at that kind of degree okay yeah yeah all right so should I get into it? What's their old system and what's their new system now that we've been talking about this for 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to okay. leave the other tangent on the cutting room floor. <laughs> okay, sure. Oh, now I'm curious. Now you can't just withhold this from me. Oh, okay, fine. So uh, just, I, just make it quick, all right? Yeah, we were talking about coalitions. And, yeah. and I don't know if, I can't remember if it was the Netherlands or maybe it was Denmark, but uh, I feel like uh, within the last decade, there was a, a, a country in the European Union that did not form a government for like two straight years. Uh, be- because oh, yeah. they had an election and they just could not form a majority coalition. And so they... they it might have been had Denmark like a, or Sweden. Yeah, they had like a caretaker government that, that ran for, I think it was nearly two years before they formed a government. And yeah, a couple months of negotiating, this sounds bad, but I... Yeah, can you can you imagine if, if we didn't have a, 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 you know, a new government from election results in the US and it just kind of coasted for two years? Um, <laughs> no. Uh I guess the presidential system kind of makes that difficult to yeah. imagine. Um, although, if you had s- thrown into the house, okay, let's not even get into it. We know way <laughs> too much about elections around the world, don't we? Um, I didn't too know much for our own good. Yeah, I didn't know how much we knew about this stuff. Okay, the old system in Iraq. So, so they this, ba- is, this is post two thousand five constitution, pre recent rule change. Right, right. So they have eighteen provinces. And basically, each province is 
and a constituency. Each province is an electoral district. So provinces are allocated seats beforehand, and uh, um, each one has an election that I think is based on proportional representation. Um, so, uh, so I think you vote for a party within the province. And then, you know, let's say the province has allocated 100 seats. I'm just doing that, making easy. No province has 100 seats because they only have like a, a certain number of, um, uh, they probably have like four, 400 seats or so. And they're like, you know, no, 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 no province is that big. But let's say you have 100 seats and your party gets 25% of the vote in that province, you get 25 seats. Now, there is uh, a question of, and, and this will get into our, our topic at the, at the end, there's a question of what method you use to allocate the seats based on the vote. And like you were saying before, it sounds like it should be very simple, right? Yeah, I, 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 were we talking about this uh, off, off the air? Yeah. Um, that, that, yeah, what's, what's written in, like, for example, in the U.S. Constitution, it's, it's like three lines that talks right. about the, the apportionment of, of representation. It right. should be super simple. Right. Uh, but, but then when you actually go to do it, uh, there's, there's some nuance. Right, right. And, and we're also talking about this on two levels, right? Because first of all, there's allocating seats to provinces. And then the second level, it's allocating seats within a province to parties given the vote for that party. So, um, right. so, so allocating seats at the seats the to problem. the provinces would happen on, well, it, to use the U.S. as an example, happens every decade when they update the census, yeah. they update that. Uh, I'm sure they have a it's relatively a similar system there. Whereas within the provinces, except, every election, you have to allocate yeah. seats based on proportionality. Except, except, you know, there are certain seats set aside for ethnic groups, certain seats set aside for women. But let's put that aside for now. I think that remains in the new uh, in the new one. So there are a bunch of methods then for dealing with, because you're never going to get an exact like, Hey, uh, 25% of the votes, 25 seats out of a hundred. It's never going to work out that cleanly. There's always going to be some fractions. And so how to allocate those fractions is what's very difficult. And it could actually mean a lot because, you know, a lot of elections are selected between a few percentage points and who, who gets those fractional seats is... It, uh, especially when, you, when you're when you looking at smaller numbers. If Maybe if you have, you know, 100 seats in this district to uh, to divvy up, not so big. But if, if you're looking at, you know, how do you divide up six seats, uh, the... the uh, the remainders uh, be- become much more, uh, not chaotic, but but yeah. there's there's a lot more riding on that, yeah. that so small I'm, difference. So I'm going to put that aside to the end because okay. we're going to talk more about that 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 uh, uh, video from Matt Parker at the end. So let's let's get into the new system now. So the new system, first of all, they switched it from 18 provinces to 83 constituencies. I don't know if they're gerrymandered. Probably not. They're probably, I don't know. Uh, it's probably more of an American thing. Um, and, and seats are now reserved for women in specific minority groups, uh, additionally. And those constituencies are no longer done through proportional representation. They're done through a single non-transferable vote. So instead of voting for a party, you're now voting for an individual person. And if, you're, if your constituency has eight seats, the top eight vote getters go in. So um, this is 
somewhat, it's going to end up being somewhat proportional, but the difference is that now you need to think about voting strategically a lot more than you did before. So if there's an example, let's use the example, there are eight seats in your district, right? You want to try to vote for someone who's just on the cusp of being in eighth or ninth place. Um, because if you vote for someone who gets has way more votes than they need, you're not really helping them. Yeah, that this much. this seems tricky, especially right. like it, it's it's simple. If your if your party has one contender, then everybody can stack up behind them. Right. But but if you think your party is going to have like six out of the eight seats, how do you distribute those votes so that you don't have ninety yeah. percent of your voters going to the one top vote getter, and then you you miss out on. On so other seats. I think the idea is to take focus off the party and put focus on the individual. Mm. Um, but yeah, so again, you're trying to vote for someone who's on the cusp of eighth or ninth place. Uh, otherwise, you're throwing away your vote. If you're, if you're voting for someone who's too far down, you're not doing anything. If you vote for someone who's too far up, you're not doing anything. And then it seems like if everybody does that, then the top vote getters start to equalize. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of game theory uh, right. here. So, and, and I'm curious how, how much... How much and how accurate their polling is for yeah. for how do you gauge this? Right, exactly. There's probably not how there's not accurate voting in the United States. I doubt well, there's yeah, accurate voting, especially when you get down to like the House level in, yeah. in the U.S. Polling is is yeah low reliability. So you think you can have rely you can figure this out if if you're in Iraq? I know I couldn't, and so I actually I wanted to see what the uh, what the cutoffs were. I couldn't like find the data on that. Um, but I, I think it's a problem. You could fi- see all the candidates kind of um, go into about equal. It's sort of like the the same problem in a single constituency where the the two big parties become about equal. Um, but now you have it with eight eight people, and then you know it, it seems like the problem is that um, th- they're going to be about equal, and then uh, you know it, it, I feel like it could be very uh, like it could change completely on a whim who gets in and who doesn't get in. And it can almost seem random at times. Mm. So that's one issue that, uh, that I see. Um, now the result is that in the parliament, uh, Muqtada al-Sadr increased his lead. Now, if you, if, if you've been alive in the U S for a while, you might remember that name. He was the, um, what was it, he is called? Is it the, his father that, that is, uh, the, the name we're familiar with? No, or, him. or is this the man in himself? Okay. He was, so he was in, uh, he was opposing the U.S. Um, in, in 2003, 2004. I don't remember exactly what it, like, like were they actively fighting the U.S. or was it more, because I don't remember like. I, I remember hearing about Sadr City. Uh, right. But, but I can't put it in context. Yeah. Oh, uh, right. Okay. So anyway, he was, he was very young when that was ha- happening. So he was, he was like in his 30s. Uh, so he's still around. He might, he's going to be around for a while. Um, but he still might not be in the uh, governing coalition or his party because his number of seats are like well short of the majority, like still has 20 percent. Um, so you say you were saying he has the plurality. They, they're the largest party. Yeah. Uh, but but not enough to to govern on their own. And so I guess, it, yeah, it'll come down to who who can marshal the strongest coalition there. Right. Right. I mean, and but again, they're not really um, <laughs> there. Th- I think I read something saying that he is considering or his party is considering going to a more coalition based system where he's like, OK, we're the leading party and we're going to we're going to form a majority government. But 
now I think it's back to that whole horse trading among everyone thing. Sure. Uh, so and so his his party is a Shiite party. I, you know, we all learned this. Iraq has uh, Shiite, Sunni, and Kurds. In actuality, it's got a lot more groups than that. But uh, um, but uh, yeah. So and the, 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 I, I I believe the Shiites in Iraq form the majority. Yeah. Uh, but I, still, I used to know the difference between those groups, but but uh, it, it has escaped me. Yeah, no, it's still it's like um, it, it's uh, um, it's 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 still like very unclear what's going to happen. Um, but they they his coalition supported the law, and it seems like they did benefit from it. Although, you know, they got what seventy three seats, and it's up from fifty four. Now it could just be like changes in voter preferences, but you know, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, we still don't know what's going to happen. And (laughs) it's, it it would be interesting to see if this, uh, system, which seems extremely complicated and insane, but most electoral systems do, you know, if you, uh, if you're coming in from the outside, I'm sure ours does. Especially if you drill down a little bit and and get past the, the, the top level. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of gears involved. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I mean, so 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 that's that's basically what's happening. So now everybody who's listening to this knows more about this whole uh, 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 change in election law in Iraq than probably all your friends. So you can be uh, you can be thankful for that. Uh, what uh, uh, we definitely want to get into um, how seats are allocated. Uh, fractionally, uh, but before we do it, is there anything else? I feel, is there anything else you want to say about like Iraq in particular? Uh, I mean, I I don't have any context for how this would potentially impact us here in America. Um, I I don't know that that's really been an angle that 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 we've we've read up on. Um, so it's it's much more uh, of interest from from the perspective of uh, kind of election procedure and and the math behind it I think to us at this point but right. but it'll it, I'm sure there'll be uh, interesting repercussions on the region as a whole uh given you know what what the new government form there looks like yeah okay so uh along with this we watched the video called uh, the Alabama par- uh, par- paradox with uh Matt Parker of stand up math and this is related to what's going on in Iraq but but it's also related to uh, you know, arguments that were occurring early on in the United States about how to allocate seats to states, which is also the same problem of how to allocate seats to parties in a in a proportional system. Um, and so, you know, the problem is, well, what do you do about these fractional seats? And, you know, the, the obvious thing to do is, you know, just round them, uh, maybe just round up the ones that are closest to the next number and round down the other ones uh, that are not as close until you have uh, the right number. Turns out that's actually leads to some crazy results. Uh, one is called the Alabama paradox, where it's like, okay, let's suppose you add one more seat to Congress. Then you're like, okay, great. Some state will get that seat. That would seem entirely logical. No, it turns <laughs> out that sometimes one state will get that seat, but another state might have to give up a seat to a third state. And you're like, what, how, how the heck could that occur? But it's because those fractional bits, those fractions of a, um, of, of a seat, it, it actually changes like who's at point nine and who's at point one, because when you add another seat, that denominator on uh, dividing uh, 
uh, population by seats just changes completely. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, so that could that could really have a lot of repercussions. And this was discovered in 1880 with the census, where they added more seats, and Alabama lost a seat, not because they lost population, but because yeah, they they actually the, had a uh, an increase. In, uh, I don't know if they had the largest increase in population uh, percentage wise, but they they had a significant increase, right? Uh, even, even relative to the rest of the country, yeah, and yet lost seats, which yeah. which seems like it shouldn't happen. Right. And it's not just common. It turns out under a lot of these schemes, it's actually very, uh, it's, sorry, I said it's not just common. It's not just possible. It's actually very common. So, um, you know, there are a bunch of different ways to do this. He went through a few. One is like the, um, you know, the, the Jefferson rule, the Hamilton rule, the Adams rule. Um, so basically he, he laid out two kind of um, things that we want to avoid. It turns out you can't avoid both of them. Those always happen in mathematical elections. Um, I'm thinking, of course, of the arrows impossibility theorem. But here's another one. First well, of all, it, I'm sure that it's possible to have a case where neither of those happen, but but not a system that will where they can't or, happen. Where where you where you can be guaranteed not to have one or the other. Right, right. So one, you want to avoid the Alabama paradox, and two. Uh, you want to follow the quota rule, which is that let's say there are a hundred seats and I have um, nineteen point five percent of the population. Well, I should either get nineteen seats or twenty seats. I shouldn't get twenty one seats. I shouldn't get eighteen seats. I should either be one ahead or one b- before. Right. It, it stands but, to reason you should be able to round up or down by one, but not by more. Yeah. But it turns out you can't um, you, you you can't satisfy both of them. All the time, but it's still uh, it's still the case that some systems are better than others. So I'm going to link to that YouTube video if you want to get more into the mathematics of how these systems work. So they, they they usually revolve around the quotients of population to seats uh, to get that extra seat, and sometimes the quotient changes as you're allocating seats. That's kind of what we do now. It's like one seat is allocated to each state, and then there's a formula for um, basically who is the next state to get a seat where with some some quotient uh comes in and then once they get that seat okay now their their denominator now their um denominator is higher so their quotient is lower so then some other state gets the next seat and it's just allocated one by one which is kind of nice cuz it's easy to calculate um uh, and so this is this is the current method the hill method um and in general they had the the jefferson method uh from the Early on, which uh, which uh, actually makes it more likely that bigger states are going to get more representation, and then like you know you had the Hamilton method where smaller states got more representation, and um, I don't know if this was part of those guys' political philosophy or if they were just like, hey, I've got an idea, but I suspect there was something behind that. Yeah, well, and and this is uh, there's a an additional wrinkle to Virginia be considered was here. Yeah. Uh, that that you could you could potentially make an argument for 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 or against the you know favoring larger states versus favoring smaller states uh, in the context of also having the Senate, which inherently favors smaller states, and that that representation in the Senate is is independent of population. Right. Uh, so and but, anyway, but not all, but but a, a unicameral system wouldn't necessarily have that element, and so you know. A solution that that might be justifiable for for the the U.S. system uh, may may not be as as 
readily applicable to the Iraqi system if we were trying to apply right. it there. So the, so the Iraqi system now is using the, or it was using, it was using the Webster method in, in the old one. And this, this was uh, adopted in 1842 in the United States. It was from uh, Daniel Webster, one of our politicians here. And, um, and it lasted until 1940, until he had the current method. And so basically it was, it was based on kind of successive quotients and that method sort of, uh, as opposed to the Jefferson method, it was one of the ones that made, gave small states a slight edge. Now, interestingly, the current method that we use, obviously, I think it avoids the Alabama paradox and makes the quota paradox less likely. So you can, even though you can't avoid them completely, you could make these things less likely, yeah. which and, is and always the answer to everything. Like even in computer science, when like something is not, uh, you can't calculate something in a reasonable amount of time, you always step back and say, can I estimate it in a reasonable amount of time? And then the answer is almost always yes. So, yeah, this, this may seem a little abstract because, you know, when are we going to be adding seats? Uh, but, but we are re reapportioning those seats every 10 years due to the right. census. Uh, that's that's part of the the redistricting, well, it's which a big I guess deal. we're in the midst of now. It's a big deal when a state loses a seat and yeah. gains a seat, and that's you know. Well, that- and and uh, it is not out of the realm of possibility for additional states to be admitted to the union. Right. Uh, Puerto Rico and D.C. have in in recent years been discussed, uh, or perhaps for states to uh, to to split in some way. I mean, it, it hasn't happened in recent memory, but yeah. it has happened before. Or to leave the union entirely. Well, yeah, I, I guess that would be a little bit different. Would, would we keep it at, you know, if, if, if let's say, uh, I'm going to use Vermont as an example, because okay. they maintain that they have the right to secede since they were the first to, they were the 14th state. They, they were not an original colony. So of course they have the right to leave. They had the right to join. Uh, but the, so let's say Vermont gets a, gets a hair and decides to depart. Uh, right. So, so do they take their uh, their seats with them? Do we do we reduce from four hundred and thirty eight uh, seats in in the house, or do we just divvy those seats among the uh, the rest of the states after they've departed? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's set in stone now. I always I. Uh, when thinking about this whole allocation thing, I was always wondering, like, wouldn't you want to say, like, hey, you get X number of seats for every X, Y population. Um, and then maybe the seats, number of seats floats. Um, you know, it, it goes up and down after each census. But then I feel like they adjust the number. And so maybe, you know, yeah, I well, don't know. That, that would be, that would certainly, uh, it would help address the, the apportionment problem in that respect that, that you, you wouldn't be so concerned with, with the Alabama problem or, or the, uh, excuse me, uh, or, or the, the, was it the quota problem? Um, uh, right, but but it would mean that you know basically every. Uh, if they I mean, only you could recalculate get... every ten years, then then every every decade the uh, the presidential electoral college math would change. Uh, right, because that would be fluctuating. Well, it so already changes. Very every... interesting. I mean, so it it moves around, but but it wouldn't be uh, five thirty eight. Oh right, yeah. That, the the, uh, oh, the totals yes. would change, and then five thirty eight blog would be <laughs> obsolete, or they'd have to change your name every ten years. Um, but, but but yeah, I guess the other piece of that, and and not to get too deep down into the math, because that the that uh, it was a Matt Parker uh, video is is very worth watching, even though it is a little on the long side. Right, right. Uh, he he mentions that uh, in in the eighteen hundreds, uh, 
as, as laid out in the Constitution, uh, there's this benchmark of 30,000 people per representative, right. um, which which I believe we have uh, removed or, or invalidated that part because we certainly don't maintain that ratio with our current yeah. scheme. No, well, it's actually, um, you can't have more than that. But the, the problem is um, we have way much more, we have way more than that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of expected that a representative would maybe be 50,000 people. But now we have, in some cases, almost a million people, um, which uh, changes uh, changes the nature of that yeah, election. And if, quite if a bit. you were to actually use the the thirty thousand as as the benchmark, then then the house would be enormous. And, yeah. you, and you think it, it it's ineffective now with four hundred and thirty eight people? Uh, imagine increasing that by an order of magnitude or more. Yeah, I mean, it it depends because it would also be like, you know. You'd probably have to take a lot more votes rather than actually ask. Like the the, the party leadership would probably just have to take votes to find out whether uh, something passed or not, rather than ask everyone because hmm. uh, that might not be feasible. Um, no, I thought about that. I actually think there's some good good reasons to have a huge uh, a huge representative body in that way. Uh, mainly because I think it would get uh, it could get you know money out of the elections in in, in kind of a, a clean way. Um, I don't know if that it would work, but like, hey, you know, in New Hampshire, for example, uh, the state house is very small constituencies, so anyone can run, anyone can win. Whereas to run for Congress of the United States, it kind of takes um, it it it's um, you have usually have to have some some big groups backing you. There are some exceptions, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's sort of it, it it's sort of almost contributed to. Um, the ossification, I guess, of our political system. So, um, but again, I'm not saying go do it. I don't know. I don't know what a 10,000 person Congress would be like. Uh, I'm, I'm getting flashes of the Galactic Senate. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, you could say, look how that worked out, but th- didn't that last for a thousand years? <laughs> so they say. So, so they, they say. say. So they say. All right. Just to, to make sure that the Sith don't come along. All right. Um, I feel like we definitely had a theme today. What's the t- what do you think is the main takeaway of today's podcast episode? Uh, even things that seem like they're simple and uh, not math oriented uh, are extremely complex and have math at the core of them. Yeah, I also think that you know, um, I I do think that there is something that we can learn from. What's that? Obviously, in in Iraq, you have conditions for, uh, uh, you know, a, a democratic republic that are not as, that are, let's say, less than ideal, as compared to maybe the United States. But I feel like there's still a lot to learn from it, and and there's a lot of like takeaways in terms of like, you know, what's going on there. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this very closely, um, and uh, yeah, uh, social choice theory is full of really surprising results and then elections in the real world also introduce tons of complications in addition to that so it's such a fast that's why it's such a fascinating yeah. topic well and yeah so, the the countries like iraq uh, and and their uh, their situation uh, people talk about how how polarized and divisive we are here in the u.s but uh, they they literally have uh, different ethnic groups who in the past have have been at each other's throats and they're 
they're attempting to find a way to coexist there. Uh, and so, so maybe it's worth watching to see what we can, you know, may, maybe not to, uh, to replicate what they're doing, but, but what we can take away from that to, uh, <laughs> well, to make, we can to learn make... either good or bad or, or maybe yeah. some things that don't apply, but you know, yeah. I agree. So yeah, no, no matter what, there, there are lessons to be learned. You just yeah. got to make sure you're taking away the right ones. All right. I think this is a cool discussion. I think, I think we got uh, into a lot of things that um, you know, people wouldn't otherwise hear about. This certainly wasn't on the news. This wouldn't, I don't care what you watch. If you watch Fox News or MSNBC or CNN uh, or go on Twitter, I don't think this was on there. So uh, we, we brought something new. All right. I think, uh, I think we're good to go. Are you good to go? I, I you have, ready to adjourn? I have nothing new to add to this. All right. Uh, I, I, I second the motion to adjourn. All right, great. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.